Hi, it's Louis Simmons here, Westside Barbell. This is the Conjugate Club, and today I got the pleasure to have Dan Green here. Um, you know, everybody knows who Dan Green is if you've ever lifted weights. And uh, so, Dan, where do you live? Uh, we're out in California. I own a Boss Barbell Club, which is in uh, Mountain View, California. So this is like Northern California between uh, it's between San Jose and uh, San Francisco. This is where all the companies like Google and Facebook oh, and stuff oh. like that are at. So. Yeah. Good well, that's where I grew up at. So mm -hmm. it wasn't it wasn't all tech when I grew up, but it was uh, but it is now. <laughs> huh. is there, are there any big gyms out there that compete with you? Uh, there's a there's a few gyms. I mean, most of the gyms are kind of like outside of the like direct, uh, well, like where we're at in the Bay Area. So they're all spread out. I mean, California is a big state. We got, uh, you know, I know like Jesse Burdick has a gym that's an hour away from us, and there's a couple other smaller gyms. But I think a lot of the people still are kind of just left with like. You know, training at 24 hours and stuff like that is their like best option for doing like the, you know, benching and squatting and stuff. It's not really like a real. There's a couple. There's a couple spots, but uh, yeah, we host a lot of meets, and I don't. I don't know really close to us what else. Where else you would go? It'd be like you know, a place we to do really seriously. Well, I know Mark Bell always says he has the strongest gym on the West Coast, but I think that's behind curves and 24-hour fitness. <laughs> well, he's he's. I mean, Sacramento is like a two-hour drive, at least, from us, so it's, uh, <laughs> it's not, not quite as far west as we are. <laughs> so how did you start lifting? Um, yeah, I think I'm like, you know, I started lifting when I was a kid because my, my friends had older brothers who were, they, you know, they, they would lift weights, and then I would see, like, you know, Arnold and Sylvester Stallone doing, yeah, making uh, bodybuilding and being strong look really cool when I watched the movies, so, um, yeah, I think Terminator 2 was, like, the first, you know, Arnold movie I saw, and uh, my mom hated the idea of lifting weights, and my uncle was a football player who thought if I, you know, I started lifting weights, I'd be muscle-bound, I wouldn't be able to play any sports. <laughs> uh, so they all, like, hated the idea, which made me, you know, makes me want to do it. So when I was 13, like, I, actually, you know, when I was in uh, junior high, every day we'd go to change into our PE clothes, and they had some late weights, and I would basically just max out on bench every day. <laughs> so I was, like, the first uh, first bench program. Just going to max out. Uh, and then 13 years old, I got my parents to, like, get me a barbell and, you know, just do, like, curls and presses and rows in my room and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so how old, uh, how old are you now? 36. 36. Yeah, I started, I mean, I started really going to the gym when I could drive. Like, you know, I was yeah. 15, and then when I turned 16, I started going to YMCA. Uh, and I started, I think I saw, like, a, you know, Muscle and Fitness magazine, and I started trying to figure out the workouts from there and I got the, the Arnold encyclopedia. So it was all just trying to get big and strong. I didn't really think about it as like a, what's, what's the difference between powerlifting and bodybuilding. I was just, you know, trying to have fun and get not, jacked and not a lot of difference. <laughs> Diet. It's a little more, more overrated. I think than uh, people think it's yeah. like it's like it's mutually exclusive or something. Mm -hmm. Powerlifting is just basic bodybuilding. Yeah. You know, same here. I, that's how I got my start reading magazines. Looking at a magazine. I, I remember when I was 12 years old, I was reading the magazines at this kid's house. And I said, you know, someday I'm going to be in these magazines. And this kid said, Louie, you'll never be in these magazines. <laughs> I'll never forget that. That was one of the most stimulating things to me always. I'll never forget he said that. Yeah, the first, I hope uh, he never forgets it. <laughs> well, you got to keep reminding him, you know. Yeah, the first, I never uh, see he's probably dead. <laughs> and you're, there's only a few people this old still alive. <laughs> Yeah, the first time I read the uh, they had a powerlifting USA. The first one I read was this, somebody wrote an article where like you know it was basically like these are the top five athletes and 
you know, non-mainstream sports that you've never heard of, and they're all kind of like, you know, mainly one of them was Ed Cohn talking about mm-hmm. how he was basically like, basically making it seem like Michael Jordan really would be like the Ed Cohn of basketball. You know? Yeah, and I don't think that's an exaggeration. It's pretty. No. And it really like kind of opened my eyes when I first read that. I didn't, I didn't really understand the difference of like the programs they had in the magazine at the time. So I was just doing my own thing and having fun at the gym and. You know, I think like many powerlifters, you know, if, if I was a five, six foot six, you weigh three twenty five, I've been in the NFL. But when you're five foot six and you're not, and you weigh two hundred, you're not in the NFL. Uh, yeah, I saw I saw Eddie post a little thing on his page. He's like, you know, powerlifting is a sport you play when you're too 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 That's short to exactly. play real sports. So you got to know your role, Jabroni. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, what are your lifts? I know you lifted some gear and and raw. And so what are your lifts? All my all my competitions have been raw. Okay. I've, I've done it like knee wraps or you know no knee wraps. Um, in competition, my best total was uh, twenty two ten, so it was like just over a thousand kilograms at two forty two. So that was uh, you know eight forty eight squat, uh, five five twenty five twenty three bench and a eight thirty eight deadlift at the time. Mm-hmm. So that was uh yeah that's that's still my best total. I've hit some uh, bigger uh, bigger lifts like. You know, in the in training and stuff, I've hit a you know 881 sumo deadlift and a 900 conventional deadlift. Uh, but you know, I've kind of had a bunch of injuries in the last couple of years, so I've been <laughs> kind of kind of waiting waiting around. Well, you know, I had a lot of injuries. I I mean, I broke my back in 1973. I was I had the top total in the world. Tony Morton was won the worlds two months before. I broke my back. I was on crutches for ten months, and I recovered from that. Then I tore my bicep off in 1979. I had second place locked up behind Larry Pizzo. Tear my bicep off. You know, he wasn't giving me a down signal. I mean, a lot of things locked out. And then uh, tore holes in my stomach six months later and made the third highest total in the world in the 220s at the Y Nationals and made my first top 10 bench. And when Larry Pacific told me, when I get a, a bench, I win my first Nationals, he was right. And it took 10 years to do it, but I did it. He was right. But injuries, but that's why I switched to another method of training. 1982. I broke my back again during 1981. Low back, L5. And that's when I switched to the Russian training. So, you know, injuries start to play a part. Then that's when your knowledge takes over. You have to get smarter than the weights. you got to get smarter faster than you get hurt. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, my gym, I like to say no one's hardly ever hurt, not even sore in my gym. We don't get a pec strain. We don't get a low back strain. Uh, we do some, 80% of our training is on small exercise, only 20% of a barbell. So... Yeah, I, like, I mean, I like to think about our training in a in a similar way, where it's like I've got a, you know, how much heavy lifting am I doing? You know, that's stimulating like CNS and stimulating your technique. Uh, how much volume am I, you know, lifting in terms of like mm-hmm. moderately heavy weights, like, uh, you know, seventy five and eighty five percent kind of weights? Mm-hmm. So I always try to have that, like, make sure I'm maintaining a certain amount of volume and never, you know, never just going heavier and sacrificing volume at the same time. Uh, but then. The other thing is like, you know, all the sort of the bodybuilding training, all the accessories and stuff where, um, you know, some of that to me is like getting bigger. Some of it's like hitting the, the weak. I mean, to me, like, you know, training abs and rows and stuff is pretty boring, but yeah. you just keep doing it. Sure. <laughs> so you're just diligent with it and it doesn't directly make anything stronger, but it makes you respond by hitting PRs from the heavy stuff instead of getting hurt. So yeah. you have to do the basics. But, uh, you know, I think there's also not just doing it, but it's like a, it's the appreciation for the importance of it. So when you're doing the, like, the rows and the, all that stuff, you're actually making sure you're getting some kind of effect from it, not just going through the motions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're in everything the same way. It's all mathematics. 
you know, we run our volume based off how strong you are. Like a 400 squatter has a certain amount of volume, and an 800 squatter does actually twice as much. And uh, in a 1,200 pound squatter, which we have um, th uh, three, and um, and so they would have they would actually do another third on top of that. And that way, no one ever overtrains or undertrains. And I think that's very very important. And we used to uh, we used to do only eight deadlifts after we speed squat 25 squats, and then uh, at the at one weight and then or 1%. And then after that, we would only do maybe eight singles in the deadlift, but we jumped it to 20. So we really raised our work capacity up, and it's made a big difference in this gym. Uh, we, we've had 26 over 800 and, and three over 900 deadlift. I don't know, over a dozen women over 500. So, Yeah, I think, you know, for me, a lot of the, what helps me is building up a lot of volume on, I mean, each person's going to have a weakness. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's like, if I know what lifts, like what secondary lifts I'm going to do that's going to, you know, make my back stronger or what's going to make my quads stronger, or, you know, not the main variation necessarily. I mean, some people are built where the main lift is like really well suited for them and they can just pump out a ton of volume. But like for me, I like, I like using uh, front squats. I like using uh, the safety squat bar. I like doing good mornings and stiff leg deadlifts. And, and I always keep those as like, I never do them really for maxes. It's usually more like fives and eights and that way I can build up volume on those lifts. To me, that's like, you know, if I build up my squat based on the back squat, the more squats I do, the more I kind of use a form that's like just using my back and not mm -hmm. my legs. So I like handling heavy weights, but I also like doing the other lifts to build up the quads and the other lifts to build up the back. So it's like each lift, you know, if you separate the back and the quads, I can, I can target them a lot better. Um, and also, you know, it's interesting because you've talked about, you know, getting a, you know, Chinese weightlifters doing... 75 to 85%, you know, for 15 to 25 reps is like a squat volume or, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and I've, I've, I've seen some of the like Russian sort of uh, block, um, you know, like the, the set and rep schemes, which I like to use those as kind of a reference. And it just makes it easier to break down like what weights should I be doing and how many sets and reps should I be dividing it into. And then really just making sure that you know, if you think about when you, you know, think about progression over, you know, progressive overload, it's got to either see that you're going up in weight, you're doing this, you know, the same weight for more reps, or you're doing the same weight and the same reps, but for more sets and volume. And so that way I'm kind of like, you know, gradually increasing all three of those things with the people I train myself, you know, and tracking it all makes it, you know, where it's honest. You're not just like, oh, I feel good. I went heavier this week. I went heavier next week. And three weeks from now, you're still going heavier, but you didn't realize that you're dropping all the volume out from underneath you, and exactly right. suddenly your strength yeah. goes goes away. That's the problem with progressive <laughs> gradual overload training. I did it for 12 years. Couldn't understand why I couldn't make my weights in the meets. Ricky Crane, world, you know, world champion, Dave Waddington, first 1,000-pound squatter. Um, all these guys that called me on the phone and said, Lou, I did this, this in the gym, and I went to meet, and I only lifted this. What's the problem? And I said, well, Ricky, when you figure it out, call me up. <laughs> but by then in 1982, and I started doing all the Soviet training, and like you mentioned, uh, Perlipin's chart, really. I started following Perlipin's chart at a certain amount of volume, a certain amount of lifts uh, per workout at a certain amount of percents, and it changed everything here. And uh, with no more overtraining, everybody makes progress, and that was the key. You know, if you do the same lift at 90% over for three weeks in a row, you will go backwards. And we break our record. Our stat guy, Joe, Joe Lasko, uh, did stats on track people, uh, you know, um, throwers, sprinters, and powerlifters, large ones, heavyweights, and small ones. And uh, we determined that 80% of our training is on small exercise. But on Max Every Day, which is uh, for the bench on Wednesday and Monday for the squatter dead, we break our record at almost 95% of the time the entire gym.
Now, my gym is private. It's only got, I mean, at the absolute most, 12 right in the morning. But at a 95% clip. So if we're breaking a record 95% of the time, who's going to compete with us? And that's that's how we do it. But by switching, if not, it's called the law of accommodation. You know, like you switch bars. I was a, I like front squat too, and I have no legs. But it built my back up. Yeah, you know, no, keeping that arch. Because I always, for me, the front squat's always like, if I haven't done them in a while and I start doing them, my, my traps get really sore. Oh, wow. So I get a lot of like training effect on the upper back as well as the, the quads. Yeah. yeah. Um, the thing that made me really get, you know, better on the front squatting was just learning how to, uh, I mean, just building up a little more flexibility. Uh, mm. that, that made it more of a quad exercise, sitting back too much. And mm -hmm. it's like I could never quite get a good feel for it. Right. But the person who, uh, you know, kind of turned me on to really front squatting, and this is like two parts. The, the first time I went to Russia, I was, I was, I think my total was still like a 1700 pound total. So I was pretty, like pretty intermediate lifter at that point. And I saw these Russian guys with these like massive legs. And, and I was thinking, you know, like I haven't, I actually, when I saw, and I know, you know, who this is the Konstantin Pazdev. Yeah. It was a huge deadlift and huge squat. At the time he, uh, he, when I went to Russia, he set the, you know, the 220 pound record for the, uh, the squat. Uh, he also, would have broken the 220 pound total record, but Andre Belay was in the same meet and he broke it by more. So when I watched him, when I first saw the guy walk off the stage, um, so, you know, he took the knee wraps off and I walked by and I did like a triple take because I looked over and, and I, I kind of looked back and then I, I was trying to figure out what it was that I was seeing on his, you know, his knees. And it was like, I hadn't seen somebody with that much uh, kind of teardrop quad development. Like, and I was thinking to myself, okay, that's, that's pretty crazy. I don't, I don't see anything like that. Um, and then I did a, the next meet I did was uh, was raw unity meet and I um, this is the first time I think Sam Bird had competed in like a raw meet so I was mm -hmm. talking to him and he told me about how he trained and he kind of had one day where he does like a lot of volume but like lightweights like compensatory acceleration training and the other day where he does front squatting and he kind of explained to me about like the volume he does and, and I was thinking to myself I'm like well if I do the if I do the math the weights he's using on his you know his back squat day that's kind of a light day and the, the front squatting is like as heavy as, so he's basically using the front squat to build strength. And, you know, the other day was all kind of acceleration and speed and stuff. And, you know, once I kind of started putting two and two together, I'm looking at all these guys who are like world record squatters and thinking, okay, well, they all do, they're all doing these front squats. So I know how to do them. I'm going to start actually taking it more seriously. Um, so for me, it was just a matter of putting it kind of on its own day. Like I'll just do, I'll do them on their own day so I can do them more fresh. Mm -hmm. You know, if you do something after something else, you know, you guys don't do max effort, and then you do the dynamic effort. You do them on separate days. So yeah. that was the big thing for me is putting the, the front squat, which is like for strength and for muscle mass, on a separate day. You know, not after I did my back squatting. And then I would kind of have good days one day and bad days the other day. And it's like yeah. putting them on its own day I always was consistent in the training, and I started getting a lot of progress in my squatting. Yeah. We try to separate the hard days, the high <laughs> volume, or the maximum effort days by 72 hours. Extreme workouts can be done every 72, and it's always been out that way. Well, I know for you guys have with the speed day, a lot of it really, a lot of it comes down to the amount of volume you're doing in the speed right. day. It was mm -hmm. kind of like a, you know, a way of getting a certain amount of training volume. And yeah, and that's, that's really helped me is when I kind of figured out, you know, what lift serves what purpose, and then what's the right amount. You know, through experience, you kind of figure out what's a good rep scheme for each exercise. Uh, you know, because like, you know, like something like a stiff leg deadlift or a good morning, I'm not doing one rep maxes. If I want to see how heavy I could go, I'm probably just going to compromise the form. I'd rather do them for sets of like five or something where I know if I'm increasing on that rep range, I'm actually just gaining muscle mass. Mm -hmm. 
I'm not just having a good day or a good rep. Right. You know, it's like in the long run, if I'm going to go to a meet and I'm going to see that I'm going to hit like a 20 or 30 pound PR on a squat or deadlift, if I haven't increased my stiff leg deadlifts and I haven't increased the good mornings or my front squats, you know, so if I can't really measurably see, all right, your quads and your back have gotten stronger by themselves, why would the, you know, why would the, the main lift reflect it's, that, you know? It's exactly how it, I mean, we literally don't do any full squats here. <clears throat> but, yeah, we go to meets. I mean, how squatted 12.34, we got Rob with 12.70. And the only thing he does close to me is down and touches a set of chain. Well, we don't, the rest of us don't do that. We just box squat. Yeah. Never put the straps up, never wear knee wraps. Yeah, so I've gotten more away from, I mean, I like, you know, it's like a certain amount of heavy lifting keeps you, you know, where I feel like I'm confident in my form and I can handle the weights. But, you know, if I just did back squats, that's not the best way to build up the squats. Like the other, the other things that target the legs more, the other things that target the back more. Building those up separately it seems a more efficient way to do it for me. Yeah. We concentrate on, um, you know, upper back you know, positioning in a squat, upper back and lower back. Make sure they're yeah. super strong so you never lose position. A good squatter, the shin should never move and the back should never move. The only thing that moves is the hip. So once you master that, you can lift some big, you know, some big weights. <laughs> but, um, what's uh, some of your, um, so you say you stiff leg deadlift. What kind of stiff leg deadlift do you have compared to your top deadlift? Um, so when I do the stiff leg deadlifts, I always stand on a box that I made. It's like three and a half inches tall. And um, so I, I usually will do, for those, I'll do like sets of six or eight or even ten. Um, the highest I've done for a set of six was 628. And I'll do those as like, you know, rounded back, um, not touch and go, but I'll set it down, you know, brace and pull it again each time. So 628 was the highest. Um, yeah, and you know, because that was kind of a record from the last training cycle, I knew, okay, well, my my real deadlift should be on track to hit a nice PR. Um, yeah, my good mornings. You know, when I was training last year, I did the I did a 900 pound deadlift in the in the animal cage as an exhibition, and um, actually before that training cycle, my best deadlift was 881 sumo. My best conventional was 782. <laughs> so. That's closer than some, though. There was a day where I was training, you know, conventional. And I was doing the conventional training because I'd had a, my quad torn and I was having a, I had it reattached. And, you know, surgery for that was a pretty good recovery from that one. But, you know, once I was able to start training, I couldn't just jump back into a lot of squatting because that would leave me too stiff most of the time. So I was just trying to focus on more back training. So lots of good mornings and stiff legs. And um, so I just decided I would, you know, because my quads weren't really built up for it, I was, I was like, you know, there's no pressure. I just want to. I want to spend more time doing conventional. If you've got a meet coming up, you're going to train what you're going to compete with. And so I've always had this. You know, you don't want to just like dick around with something that you're trying to learn right before a meet. So here, with no pressure, as you know, kind of enjoying myself doing the conventional. Uh, one day I was I had a big PR where it was like I'd never been able to make 800. You know, I missed it. I missed it a couple times. Took a took kind of a lighter week, and then I came back the next week, and I hit it um for a set of four so <laughs> you know uh got some other things lined up in the training and you know it kept going up i got an 850 and i wound up having to go back and get like a second follow-up surgery for the knee um just to get some of the stitches that were like kind of they left in there mm. taken out because one of them was uh, like a knot that's kind of like uh you know creating some inflammation and stuff so that was quick but you know then i was able to get my training back and and like i was saying because i'd hit bigger, you know, 
PRs on my good mornings and bigger PRs on my uh, stiff legs than I'd done for the training cycle where I was doing 881. I was thinking, okay, well, I'm strong enough. So it was just a matter of kind of learning how to use my use my strength in, in the in the conventional. The problem I had is I would kind of pull too hard off the floor. Oh, yeah. And so my upper back would be braced. Like, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, my upper back is my strong area. If I brace the upper back, it's like, you know, I got to make the upper back do more of the work, not mm-hmm. give it an easier job of like, you know, just staying rigid. So once I was able to get the technique down a little bit, then my weights started shooting up. I know uh, that's 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 how we basically train too. Uh, I got a real strong guy sitting over here in the audience. Uh, says he's got eight sixty deadlifts. Is that correct, Andrew? Yes, sir. Well, I want to ask you a question. The first time you ever deadlifted, if you can recall, how much did you deadlift? First time. Maybe three fifteen. Three fifteen. Now, all the people watching this podcast, how did he deadlift three fifteen? Had when he had never done a deadlift, other activity. Spatial training is all the small spatial exercises that make the big lifts go. Without those, you know, you're, you're Dan. You're talking about you're talking very little about squat, bench, and dead, but you're talking a whole lot about system. We yeah. live on it. Well, to me, I think about it as like the uh, the secondary lifts are the ones where you're forcing yourself to use leverages that are harder. Yeah. You know, you don't front squat as much as you back squat because it's mm-hmm. harder leverage. You don't stiff leg as much as you de- you know deadlift because the leverage. So, but if you can build that up, you know, a lot of times like when I'm like my full-time job, I work, you know, training people. You know, some people are brand new to lifting, and I've been teaching a lot of my clients, like you know, rounded back good mornings, which stiff leg deadlifts, rounded back stiff leg. You know, it's like most trainers are probably not going to do that with their clients. And when I started doing it, I'm like, you know, I'm sitting there like holding my breath a little bit. Like I hope they, these guys can like just have some patience and they can figure it out and not you know do anything. Yeah. But all of them picked it up. All of them have gotten stronger with it, and all of them have seen their you know their lifts go up a lot. And it's like. But it's just a matter of, this is simple to think about it this way, but you could take all the exercises that people classify as like, oh, you're going to fuck yourself up doing those ones, you know, and you could take all the ones where people say, well, this is safe, this is perfect. Well, if there's any, anything you could do too much, you're going to hurt yourself. And anything you do in the right amount, you know, if you start light enough on some uh, dangerous exercises, you can you can build them up. Yeah, the most dangerous ones are the most productive if you can, <laughs> when you're prepared to do them. Yeah, because I mean, what I what I want to see is like you know, deadlifting is not how much you can lift while your back is perfectly straight. That's mm-hmm. a squat. So, That's right. uh, like, you know, like, if you squat the weight up, you're going to deadlift what you squat depending on how much arm length you have. The you know, what's your starting position? But you know, if you can pull with your back rounded and then straighten back out, well, now you have some real deadlifting skill. So, yeah, I know, see you, people you know, make mistake in power racks. They'll get in a power rack, you know. And then arch your back real hard and lift the weight and go to meet. Can't come close to these weights and it's because they're the same thing. They're, that's, that's not the position you're going to be in. Yeah, and I think there's a, you know, you talk about like a like a mini max. It's like, you know, some mm-hmm. people, they arch their back really well. You know, so they get really mm-hmm. tight. And they're either going to lift the weight off the floor and make the lift or they're just not going to be able to budge the weight off the floor when they deadlift. So for those people, to me, I'm like, well, you're strong when your back is straight, but you're weak when your back is rounded. So we're going to practice lifting with the back rounded. Well, other people are the opposite, though. It's like, you know, they, they just pull the back rounds. They have no, no stiffness. And yeah. so for those people, I say, well, let's do some, some like, rack pulls or block pulls where you're trying to get into more optimal start. Like, for them, it's like that practice of getting a heavyweight just moving without just totally collapsing is harder from a taller starting position because you can't – you don't have any tension, like passive tension building, like, you know, as you stretch down for the bar. And no leg drive. Yeah, so it's like you're, you can't get that tension in your hamstrings unless mm. you generate it yourself. With, yeah learning how to contract the muscle. I mean, everyone's going to have their 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 weakness, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
for me, it was like, you know, when I started lifting, everything was like, I'm going to have this perfect form with my back straight. And it's like, the more I practice lifting with my back rounded, the, the more muscle I put on and the more, you know, eventually PRs and stuff. So When I see people come in and will only arch their back, I real, realize right away they have weak backs. They're yeah. afraid to bend their back. Yeah. And you got to get them to bend over. And it's sometimes it's tough to do. But like you said, when you got strong abs, you'll never hurt your back again. It's all about interdominal pressure. Once you master that, yeah, it's the key. And you do, so you do a lot of stuff on boxes, correct? Deadlifting. Uh, I do a lot of different heights, yeah. So mm -hmm. deficits and mm -hmm. some and block pulls. For sumo, I like the block pulls a lot. Uh, conventional, I do mostly deficits and, uh, you know, stiff legs. Um, you know, kind of vary the heights a little bit. Um, yeah, I don't, I mean, for some people, I have them do blocks. I don't have as many people do the block pulls for uh, conventional. Just because I feel like most people can just keep getting stronger by just building up <laughs> the ability to pull with the back rounded a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So, and I think a lot of people, they have a, they have a hard time figuring out how to lift off the blocks. It's like, they just can't, can't get tight. So it's like, I'd rather have them do something that's more productive. Like I think a lot of people misunderstand standing on boxes. It's actually teaching you to use leg drive and yeah. transfer leg drive into back extension and uh, be able to just get in and round over. And so they go to me, um, Mark Chalet years ago, a real strong guy. He had an 800 pound deadlift, but he all, he did stiff legs. He did stiff leg 800. His best deadlift meet was 800. He called me on the phone and I said, Mark, stand on the box, get your legs bent and pull. And it jumped onto 855 and he won the IPF Worlds in 275 years ago. Yeah, but you can see, like for me, for Andrew, like when we do our conventional deadlifts, it's like a little push off with the legs and it's mostly like yeah. stiff leg deadlift after right. that. Yeah, that's. Um, you know, and I look at it like if I look at my back, most of the development of my erectors is kind of like right in the lower, like thoracic spine, mm -hmm. the upper, you know, upper lumbar spine. That's where it's the, the thickest. And that's because that's where I round my back when I pull. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's kind of the same way. I think he rounds like maybe a little bit higher up than where I round. So it's like, but you can, you can see, you know, we're not trying to keep the back like arched or straight. It's, uh, you know, it's not the, the picture perfect form, but it's, you do it enough times and it looks really like uh, locked in. So I know a doctor would say no, but by mechanically, it is correct because you shortened your back and the key is bend as much as you can as long as you can straighten it back up. Yeah, I kind of think about it like, you know, the the mechanics for a bench and a squat. I mean, they're multi-joint lifts. You know, you, in, a, in a bench, you've got your shoulders and elbows doing most of the, the work in the in the squat. It's like you got your knees, your hips, and your back has to stay extended. But really in the deadlift, because you can round your back any kind of way that you want, you know, you can look at every vertebrae as like its own joint. You know, so this makes it by far the most complex lift because you've got so many different joints that are, if you coordinate them well, mm -hmm. you can increase your leverages. And if you can't, well, you, you know, you're just in a squat. Right, so. exactly. <laughs> so that's where, to me, it's like, if you want to, to, to me, it's like not just building strength in the back, but it's also building that awareness of like how to let the back round over, you know, keep the abs in, involved. And in if you have the awareness of how to round your back by doing, that's why I like the stiff legs, just having a bar in my hand. You know, and it's like, it's like, kind of, to me, I call it like the poor man's, you know, back raise. Mm -hmm. Just bend over, pick up the weight, but it's, uh, you know, kind of has the, the muscle effect of doing a lot of back raises, but it has the, uh, the awareness of kind of doing a deadlift that's happening in like slow motion. So, all right, IRT guy says <laughs> the body has 640 muscles, or does it have one? <laughs> you know, the strong people use all the muscles at the same time. That's why your prettiest guys aren't the, are normally the strongest ones. You know, bodybuilders look very strong, but they only use one muscle at a time where we use our whole body at a time. Kind of like an arm puncher versus a, a 
a person knows really how to throw a punch. Yeah, you know, but like the guys with the, the you know, having the thick abs, that's that's kind of uh, aesthetically oh. pleasing as far as I'm concerned. Oh. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's the biggest thing on a tree? I'm, I'm like a pretty, Strunk. pretty beautiful guy. Yeah. So, well, you're good. Yeah. Look, you're good looking, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, is there something else you'd like to cover? Uh, you know, I was thinking, you know, I listened to you talk to you. I kind of hear you, you know, start off playing baseball. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things I, I always, you know, get in these arguments with people about baseball, it's like this idea that baseball is, you know, it's like you just stand around. So you don't have to be like athletic or anything. And, and really, like, baseball is a strength sport. Yeah. You know, if you want to think, like, who's going to swing a club the hardest? Well, it's the strongest guy, right? And, uh, you know, you got to have strong hands and strong back to, you know, strong hips to, to hit a baseball. You know, of course, like throwing, and I'm a and I played baseball all growing up, and I'm a big like Giants fan. And one of the things that I this is kind of a little rant, but when the Giants had a pitcher named Tim Lincecum, they had him for three years. The first three years, he had Cy Young. The Giants won the World Series, and then he had another Cy Young. After the three years, you know, they're talking on the radio, and they're like, "Oh yeah, and he's got this new like training program. He's not gonna he's not gonna do as much like weight training. He's really big in the weights, and now he's gonna switch to like more of like a jogging." running and sure enough it's like when I heard that I'm like freaking out because I'm like this is their best pitcher he's going to start and then sure enough it's like his career just goes way downhill you know injuries can't throw as hard and they're like <laughs> when I was a kid I was a block tenor 12 years old I didn't have any money and I and I, I got a job um, carrying block building scaffolds and I worked uh, you know extra hour a day I had to be an hour early before the masons I mixed mortar and everything and I played. Uh, I never played little league baseball until I was 12 years old. My city kids moved out in the country where I live. They got me to play. I played one year. I hit 17 home runs. I led the city of Columbus in home runs. And I, I believe I, to this day, I believe because I was so strong. I yes. clean jerked. A, I had a weight set, and I clean jerked 110 at 12 years old. And I clean jerked 260 in a contest at 100, 145 when I was 14 in a contest. And it was just due to basic. Uh, Today, I would call it GPP, but it was manual labor. Yeah, exactly. It's and uh, it's, if you look on the <laughs> internet, Strong 8 Baseball, they do all West Side stuff. It's all about strength. They've got a, uh, for the Brewers, they got a back or a, um, a relief pitcher to box clutch, 675. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I think about, too, is, you know, I, I heard what you guys were discussing. It's a lot of stuff with, like, you know, the deadlifting and the kind of, like, lateral hip strength. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, for me, I think about baseball as like, well, hitting is like, you know, it's like your lower body creating the rotation. But really, like, a lot of it comes down to hand strength, too. And I'd, I'm curious, like, what do you guys think about for, you know, grip strength for, uh, you know, either for lifters or even baseball players? Kind of curious what the uh, favorite West Side exercises are for that. Well, for people who need grip strength, a lot of our guys are hook, hookers. They hook grip. But if you want to grip, uh, get a hold of a judo, a judo gi or a jujitsu gi. And you hold on to that jiu-jitsu, you do your lap pull-downs or your chin-ups holding on that, pull sleds with that, you'll build strong grip. Because some of the strongest grippers I've ever, you know, wrestlers have got strong grip. You know, first time a real wrestler got me in a wrist, so I learned how to break a, you know, a wrist control. But the, the jiu-jitsu guys have got some sick grips. And the first thing they do, they come in and shake your hand, they grab onto you. You know, double wrist, right? And I, so what I learned, because most of them always wear long sleeves, I learned as soon as when I got Carlos Covella, every time he come in, he called me the master, and then he would jump on me. And so I learned, though, to grab his arms. He'd always have sleeves. to grab on them sleeves and never let go. And he taught me, too, not to use your thumbs. Because if you use your thumbs, your forearms will pump, pump up. But if you use your fingers, they won't. And it just takes strong fingers. So, you know, we got grip machines. We don't use a lot. We got a lot of quite a big guys. And they don't have deadlifts big enough that they have a grip problem. 
Got right now one nine, and uh, you know, so really our guys don't have much of a grip problem. Uh, Vlad trained here. He went pulled pulled a first eight oh five here. Ended up pulling nine twenty five when he's here at West Side, and uh, he just did he just did kind of basic training like you're talking about. Yeah. He did he liked to do uh, sets of three and five in the dead as a eight oh five, stuff like that. <clears throat> he's just a brute ass strong guy. He's got a he's got a good build for lifting big weights. <laughs> yeah, he does. Super super powerful body. He's, yeah. got a, he's got a big head too. That's kind of oh, he, yeah, he's a big man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, really, our training—I uh, mean, it's probably not as different as you think. But what you're telling me is fairly much what we do. We jump around a lot just so we don't accommodate to an exercise, and then, um, and, but we pay a lot of attention to the volume and, and the percentage, just like you said, the Chinese. My training is exactly like the Chinese. You know, the Chinese, the guy wrote a book on Chinese training. It's just like reading my weightlifting book. There's no difference, except he didn't put workouts in there. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, I mean, they're stronger than hell. And that's what holds our American lifters back. They're not strong. It, yeah, it, I like when I, you know, I look at some of the Instagram pages with the Chinese training. And it's all, all these videos of them doing, like, bodybuilding exercises, you know, yeah. Yeah. Tri yes. triceps and <laughs> back raises. And, <clears throat> yep. You know, even, um, <clears throat> you know, I'd read, you know, so I've seen, you know, videos of, like, some of the Russians. There's a Klokov and there's a... I read some of the stuff from uh, was Alexei uh, uh, Vasily Alexiev, and he was he's talking about doing, you know, uh, complexes. That's right. You know, he wants to get bigger muscles, so he's doing. He picks up a bar and does like five or six exercises he, yeah, before he sets one, it down. And it, for one to three minutes. Yeah. So it's like you're just having. I mean, literally, just time under tension. I think mm -hmm. about it for you know, I watch all the strongmen. It's like, what are these guys doing that's getting them so big? Obviously, the eating, but you know, a lot of the stuff they're doing, they're doing exercises that you know, if you kind of control them in terms of like you know bodybuilding sense like are you, are you under tension for 45 seconds or a minute or 90 mm -hmm. seconds so you know i think bodybuilders use rep ranges that kind of target those rep range that 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 time frame and the strongmen do too they're just you know carrying stuff or doing kind of uh you know kind of powerlifting or olympic lifting type lifts but for durations that are going to give you these huge bodybuilding effects from them i always uh you know, I always have a lot of wrestlers coming uh, i don't know if you knew kazaki is He's a three-time World Greco champion, two-time Black Belt World champion, and he, he and he is from Cuba, and he wrestled like 118 or whatever it is down there, but he weighed like 160 when he showed up here, you know, finally. So I tie up with him just for jokes, and I mean, it's like trying to move a Buick. I go, how did this guy be that strong? And then, and then on top of that, I said, show me your best move. He jumped behind me and choked me out three times in about a minute. <laughs> and I, I said, all right, do that again, and he did it. I said, all right, and I was allowed to hold on to his, at his wrist, and he get away and get, but. I realized right then, how why are wrestlers so strong? Quasi-isometric. They're in isometric contractions for long periods of time, exactly what you said. And we train our fighters for uh, squatting for five minutes at a time. They'll box squat. They'll stand up, sit on a box, do a couple of seated good mornings, stand up, do some cap raise, do some shrugs, sit back down, You know, like you said, complex for five minutes. And of something that's really seemed to help, and I think Joe could verify this, um, Tom Barry's got the, the guys doing, uh, we stand on a 10 inch box with a five inch camera bench bar. So your hands are literally four inches lower than the ground. And they'll do yep. deadlifts for five minutes straight. And that is a, that's a grueling thing. And that's why, well, Tom's got the number one 160 pound high school wrestler in the country. Yeah, I think I, I see, I've heard of exercises that, like a Ukrainian squat, which is like a, oh, you basically okay. stand on two benches and you're deadlifting from between your legs or, you know, from. From off the floor. I'm glad you brought that up because I got a track girl I, I, I trained and she had terrible hip mobility. Actually, four degrees. I think it's supposed to be 40. 
Okay. And, okay. <laughs> it was 80 degrees. Here's a 40. I put her on Ukrainian deadlifts, and now it's 44. And, I mean, she could probably touch her butt on the ground. And a lot of them behind the back, which you maybe you could do it. And I, but uh, you'll do a lot of hold the kettlebells behind your back and do it. But you're absolutely right. That's a, that's a tremendous exercise. And, uh, you know, where did I get it from? The Ukrainians came here. Right, and they were yeah. doing them, so that's where I got it from. Yeah, I think that's just one of those weird exercises I've done a couple times. And yeah. it's like, you know, just a random, random yeah. thing to do. But there's been some people where I thought, you know, this might actually help them because they've got, you know, maybe it's like a hip problem or something like that. It, you know, I preach to people all the time, read. I read. I'm a big reader. I've got lots of books, books that people don't know. And, uh, and, but if you look at the old Russian manuals, what do you see in there? Sled drags. They're pulling sleds. You know, for track and field and weightlifters, they have bell squats. They power cleaned in a bell squat, what our ATP can do. And, uh, of course, the, 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 the glued ham came from Valerie Vorzov, track and field and weightlifting. And, uh, you know, then the Russian leg curl. And I have a machine called Inverse Curl that will make everyone be able to do Russian leg curls. And uh, so, you know, what, what I do is nothing new, but I'm smart enough to use it. And these guys don't seem to do it. And I, I go to a lot of gyms, and they don't have any equipment. You need equipment. My gym is not a showroom. And if there's something in there that doesn't make you strong, it somehow disappears. <laughs> it just disappears, okay? That's all I got. To, I don't know where it went. I don't know who took it. Because who's going, what are you going to use if it don't work? Everybody's going to be on a damn piece of equipment that doesn't work. I don't know why. So we only use things that work. And then, um, but it's just amazing. I think people, one thing that would help training universally if they read real stuff by, by real strong guys. They like want to learn how to wrestle, go read the, what the greatest wrestler did. You know, yeah, one Dan, thing, Dan Gable did dumbbells, five minute drills in a row, you know, five minutes. Same thing we're talking about five minute dumbbell yeah, drills. Definitely appreciate some of the things I've read about what he's doing for his training. Talk about like the grip strength, and, um, you know, I've seen him do stuff where he's just, he's boxing, you know. He's just boxing, and it's all just like short punches from, you know, like a six-inch punch, um, you know, because that's that was in his mind like mimicking, you know, the hand fighting mm -hmm. when you're, you know, trying to get your, uh, you know, get your position with the other guy. Yeah. But, you know, your point of like reading a lot, it's really critical that you're trying to get, you know, trying to gain knowledge. But you know, the thing that really helped me a lot is that you know I read a lot, but reading is tough because you if you just read a bunch of shit on the internet it's like how well, do you compile and synthesize that it's not like it's a college course that somebody's put together for you if you read one person's like you know kind of longer like a book yeah that's great because you're going to get a lot of pieces of information that are all kind of used in a certain way if you just get a bunch of like tips from you know oh, these are the five best exercises something like this a five minute read the problem is you know you're putting things together that don't kind of link up right you know you and i see this with like you know the various techniques of like you know, do you, you know, some people squat with the, you know, the hands under the bar or more is it more behind? Or do you bench with the wrist straight or a little, little bit bent back? And it's like all the, all the different techniques are great, but they all have to kind of like match, you know, your whole body has to kind of have one overall form that's going to kind of work in a, in a unit. So sometimes you get the people that have, you know, the, each thing they're doing is fine by itself, but the technique all mixed together doesn't really work. It's like you know, figuring stuff out from all these little pieces of information is great, but sometimes you need to just have a coach. Or, you know, you go to the meets where you actually watch the really good lifters and you see people who are better than you. Because you need somebody to kind of model all the information for you, not just try to figure it out yourself. I mean, there's a lot of, like, smart people, but you're, you're trying to be smart in an area that you don't know anything about yet. That's the, kind of the, that's the whole point, right? So, Yeah, well, I don't read anyone in America. There's not one American author I read. They're all, all overseas. I've never read American. Nobody, they don't know crap. As far as I'm concerned.
They don't show me. My gyms broke over 100 all-time world records. And so, like, for instance, I had years ago, I had a guy, Matt Smith, go from uh, 1,800 to 2,400 in four years. Tim, another super heavyweight came. He went from 1,800 to 2,400 in two years. And that's what it should be. If we didn't gain knowledge, I would have to take him four years. He did it in two. What the other guy did it. A.J. Roberts come here, 2,400, three and a half years, best lives 2,930. A.J. come here stuck, you know. A lot of guys, like I said, David Jenkins had come here, super strong guy. Uh, 830 deadlift and 242s. You know, 1060 squats, 725 bench at the time. And um, 830 deadlift stuck. 14 weeks here, pulls 890 to me. And it's why? Because we have accumulation of knowledge. And uh, I use, uh, uh, like, you know, I talk, I, talk, I talk to a guy like you. I grew up Larry Pacifico, Vince Nettle, all these real strong guys I talk to about exercise. The methodologies of training, I use the Soviet Union. And the Chinese use the Soviet Union. And the only difference, and actually people don't realize this, um, the Bulgarian system came from Russian scientists. But they realized if they brought in younger and younger boys, maxed out more often, you know, uh, they could do uh, 18 heavy lifts a day based on everyday maxes, not all-time record. And uh, that's, you know, it's basically a, a, the law of adaptation. And the ones that didn't make it, get out. I had the Bulgarian Olympic team doctor here. You know, we had, for two days, we had big discussions about training. <laughs> It's all psychological. They couldn't handle it psychologically. Physically, they said they could handle it. But I learned a lot about training. And of course, you need, and I would do experiments. I'm the one that started band, chains. I'm the one that started bands. We do a group. This didn't work. We didn't do it. Did that group? We did it. I mean, bands cost me a shoulder for sure. And they take all kinds of stuff. <laughs> two world record holders, um, a peck, because we eventually end up using too much band. Yeah. And but someone's got to put too much salt in the soup before you know how much salt to put in the soup. <laughs> but now we got it down. We know what percentage. You know, I, I want to mention on this podcast. I'm trying to get this out that we'd always use 25 percent for speed strength on band tension on a barbell, thousand pound squatter. Um, you know, um, they would use 250 pound of band tension. So that's how we came up. 500 squatter use 125. But we we added band tension. Uh, we took it up to 33 percent. And I just took a bobsled girl with a 325 squat. Right, Joe? In six months to 670. And an and equation is 33% band tension. And why? Because band tension slows the barbell down. Slow the barbell down, you create, you, uh, create greater force production. And that's yeah. why we did it. Slow the velocity slightly down. And then uh, everyone got much stronger. So that's, a, that's what I do. I mean, you know, like I'd always, I talk to 100 guys like you. And I'll, and I'll get, oh, well, hell, he's at this. How's he doing? I mean, you know. You can't be a moron and don't you? No one's that. You got to think things out. So that's how I've always picked my exercise talking to lifters. But I use the, the, the how to monitor volume and, and intensities through the Soviets. But it's, it's all out there. Like I said, they come talk to you. You know, if you want to deadlift, I'm going to go a guy deadlifts 500. We'll go hang around you two guys. You know, pull nine right. and eight sixty. Where am I going? I'm going to you guys. Yeah, well, I mean. Yeah, and, it, and, I, and I like having the, you know, when you have your own gym, you, you're you not only seeing, like, what works for yourself, but you're seeing uh, how does somebody with long arms respond to certain things? How does somebody with, uh, you know, short, you know, with more Tried arch in their back, you know, straighter back, you start to see all the different, like, body types and how they respond to all the lifts and, yep. you know, what technique works best for each of those people? How do you train each technique to kind of max, you know, so, yeah, it's like one of my favorite things when I teach the seminars is I'll, is I'll have, a, you know, a guy there. His girlfriend's there, and the guy has this idea of like how to lift, and his technique's kind of crappy because he's you know maybe just a 
He's not really that well polished and not, not that athletic or something, but he understands what he's trying to do. And he teaches his girlfriend. Invariably, the girlfriend always gets taught by the, the boyfriend. And so she's got this like flawless technique that's based on what the guy's teaching her, which is inherently flawed to begin with. So sometimes like the, the women, they've, they've like mastered this like technique that's like inherently flawed and they do this to a T. And so it's like, <laughs> I mean, it's great to have a coach, but it's also good when the coach can kind of figure out what body type that person has or what sort of, you know, sports background they have that would affect their training too. So that's a very good, that's what, exactly what we do here. We bring a guy in, build a certain way. We know what, how to build him the next guy. And a lot of times you could just, you could see like, okay, this lifter, they might need to use a technique like this other guy who's set world records doing it, you know, cause their, their body types, they kind of match the way they, the way they move matches. Uh, instead of trying to force everyone to do it the same way, which so some coaches do it, and it's probably better than, uh, you know, than no no guidance. But yeah. I'm I'm actually actually I'm not a coach. I bring them in. I put them with a group. Yep. And I I actually do it like Bruce Lee's trainer Yip Man. Yip Man never exchanged hands only with his top students. He expected the students, the top ones, to feed it down and feed it down and feed it down. And I'll go over and make comments like, "Hey, man, you got no lower back. You got to, you know." You, you know, you got no hands or whatever and stuff like that. But that's about it. I don't run around tell. I don't like it. I, I, I mean, all my lifters are could be coaches, like you're saying. I yeah. teach them to coach yourself. And one thing about it too, I, I mean, you know, it's it's easy for me to say this. What you're saying here, you're strong. But I, I found over the years, um, if a guy wasn't a, a real good lifter and he starts a team, invariably he never has a good lifter. He only has so much knowledge, and he can get him to that point, but no farther. And if you want to be really strong, you're going to have to seek out a gym that's got some strong guys and found out how to go from 400 dead to five to six to seven, eight to nine. Yeah, I think, I they, think you know, everyone kind of has that idea, like, but a lot of people are intimidated, you know, to do it, which is, you know, mm -hmm. that's too bad. Uh, for me, I never had a problem where, you know, I trained in, you know, a lot of times in groups where I was the strongest guy. And so a lot of people think that's not a good setup. But for me, it worked fine. And a lot of times it was just because I would go to, I would always seek out competition. You know, so whenever I go to a meet, I would do better, I would do better, and then I would go to, you know, bigger meets and meet better lifters, and, you know, just to watch, to watch, a, you know, if you watch something on YouTube, you see them lift for, like, three minutes, but if you watch some guy lifting for a five-hour day, you see how they, how they do their warm-ups. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I've seen, like, you know, a couple guys where, like, watching Sandberg squat and watching uh, Yuri Belkin deadlift, you know, they take their first warm-up set, and everyone just kind of, like, shuts up and kind of was like, oh my gosh, what's, you know, Yuri came to, we host the meets, meets Boss of Bosses, and he came to the Boss of Bosses three, uh, three years ago. It's the first time he'd been in the U.S. You know, he's got a great squad and a great bench, but he has exceptional deadlift, and he warms up with like, you know, 275 is his first set on the deadlift. Everyone's in the back room, all these guys who are like, you know, top U.S. lifters, even international lifters, and he takes his first like couple reps there, and everyone just looked at it like wow this guy is just on another level for everyone else you know so you could just see right away that you know this guy moves in a way that nobody else is moving mm -hmm. and this there's like that technical superiority not just you know not like he's just gifted it's uh, you know <laughs> exactly i watch him dead if i watch him get ready to start i say oh this is the most perfect position i've ever and then he get in better position yeah and so uh i i watched it over and over and over on him and others and that's when I started having people do chair deadlifts because you can pull them up, you know, and get them in perfect position. And at least we learned to do that because a lot of us aren't that mobile. Yeah. You know? Well, one of the things that's actually really interesting, if you watch, you know, Yuri, the 
Valeyev, Pazdiev, um, Steffi Cohn does this also. When they're getting their sumo deadlifts moving, most people pull back. Yeah, they but they're all kind of lifting up. And the bar, you actually see from a side view, the bar actually rolls forward a little bit, which allows them to get the hips to kind of chase it down and get even even like more right on top of the bar with the hips. So it's uh, it's tough because everyone's used to doing it the other way. But right. It's uh, you know, that's a superior kind of form for a lot of people with really strong lower yeah. bodies. So they actually deadlift a lot with a dowel underneath their foot like this for balance because you're you're right, they pull straight up. Okay. Pretty, <laughs> and we like you said, Americans are when we pull, we go pull back, back, back. We yeah. never say up, up, up. <laughs> yeah. That was really crazy. So you doing anything this weekend, Arnold, or are you still suffering a little bit from that elbow uh, injury? No, I had a uh, head surgery on my elbow a couple, you know, seven weeks ago. So I'm I'm just not really in training mm -hmm. at the moment, and uh, I'm I'm just getting back into benching now. So that's yeah, this will be the year where I'm not really doing much of the cage. Last year I deadlifted. The year before I did some benching, and you know, it's yeah. fun. It's an exhibition, so you know. Yeah. How about you, Andrew? Uh, I'm lifting Saturday afternoon. Well, Dan, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, you too. You're buddy. one strong dude. <laughs> Trying. Thank you very much. See you next time. <laughs>